Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Please stand if you are able as we read from the New Testament. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name is the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Please be seated. Before we begin our sermon, I just want to highlight a few things coming up this week. This is the high point in our church calendar as we anticipate Easter Sunday. A week from today, um, April 2nd, we are going to have a Good Friday service here uh, in the sanctuary at 7 o'clock. There, um, parents, there will be no nursery provided for that, so you just need a plan accordingly for that service, and it'll also be streamed online. And then April 4, Easter Sunday, we'll have both services as usual, our 8.30 indoor. We are going to have overflow seating uh, provided in the fellowship hall, so uh, you might want to try to get there early if you want to be in the sanctuary. Otherwise, we'll have overflow for the fellowship hall for folks to follow along. And then we will have our usual 11 o'clock outdoor service here in the parking lot. Um, we will not have Sunday school on Easter Sunday, but we'll have children's worship and nursery. So please be register to please be sure to register for each of those things. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we invite you to speak to us now. Jesus, help us to see you more clearly this morning. Help us to sense your presence through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this um, interesting and some way strange story that we come to this morning. And help us to understand what we need to know and, and open our hearts, especially this morning as we come to Matthew 21. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, indeed, it is Palm Sunday. You've seen the children with the palm branches, um, and there are some interesting aspects of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Not only are people waving palm branches, but you might ask the question, why does he ride in on a donkey? And why are people taking their cloaks and spreading them over the donkey and, and in the road in front of Jesus? And what is, uh, why is there such fanfare and excitement on this Palm Sunday? Well, this is a royal entry, something that would have occurred long before Jesus' time, as Alan mentioned, and would be happening long after, as a victorious king in battle um, comes back to his hometown or his capital city, and he would be met by throngs of excited subjects who were ready to celebrate the victory of their king and the fact that they were on the right side of the battle. 
that their king was victorious, and so they would, in a sense, pay homage or even bow in worship of this king. So it was a full-blown victory parade. Um, I wasn't in the city of Tampa Bay as Tom Brady and his fellow Buccaneers, who had just won the Super Bowl, came through. I think they were on boats as they did their victory parade. But certainly, this was a similar phenomenon. He wasn't their king, but he's supposedly the greatest of all time. And the city of Tampa Bay was thrilled to celebrate with the team as they came through the city. And certainly, everyone in the city would have heard the celebration. You couldn't be in Tampa Bay during that victory parade without knowing that there's a commotion, that there's something going on, that there's a parade in the streets. And when King Jesus comes into his capital city of Jerusalem, the word of his fame and his power has spread far and wide, and people are ready to celebrate. Not only that, but they've been anticipating a Messiah, a savior figure, a king-like figure who would be their leader, a descendant of David who would take the throne and defeat all of Israel's oppressors once and for all. This was no small crowd. I don't know how many people, but it says in verse 10 that the whole city of Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred saying, who is this? And could this finally be our great savior and king? So this morning, we want to ask that very same question. Who is this? And why does it matter that this unusual kind of king riding in on a donkey with palm branches and people throwing their cloaks in front of him like a, a red carpet for a celebrity entrance? Why does it matter? What kind of king is he? Verse 5 says, behold, your king is coming to you. Who is this king? What does he require of me and how is it conceivable that many in this crowd who on Palm Sunday were sh shouting Hosanna to David, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. How is it that just days later these same people would be shouting crucify him? Well, this morning we want to see that this king is a powerful king. He's a humble king and he is a triumphant king. King Jesus is powerful humble and triumphant. Look at verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. It's as though he has sent them to the parking lot of the Publix grocery store and said there's going to be a Honda Accord 2020, a blue Honda Accord. The front door is going to be unlocked. The keys are going to be in the seat. And I want you to go to that car, start the engine, and drive off. And if you happen to see the owner of that car, just let them know the Lord needs it. <laughs> and these two volunteers, these two disciples must have been thinking, how did we get recruited for this one? But Jesus is not stealing. He's not even borrowing. Because he is the king of all creation and of all creatures. And in fact, the owner of this donkey and its colt, in a sense, are borrowed from the king, from the king of kings. 
All things in heaven and on earth belong to him. So right from the get-go, we see his power. Not only does he call himself the Lord, but he knows the course of events. He knows what's about to transpire. And he sends these two ahead. And he says, if you encounter the owner, just let him know the Lord needs them. And he is indeed the rightful owner. Not only that, but I, I never noticed this and as I read commentary about what it means for Jesus to ride in on a colt, a one-year-old donkey um, with, that has its mother along with it. Those of you who know a thing or two about agriculture or about horses and the process of, of breaking a horse or getting to know a horse to the point where there's an imprint and there's trust with a donkey or a beast of burden like this, you'll know that it is impossible for somebody, a human being, to walk up to an unridden animal like this and ride a donkey into Jerusalem unless he is able to perform miracles. And he is the king, not only over all of humanity, but over his creatures as well. And so those who understood agriculture and who understood what was happening here would have seen this as a miracle, the fact that he can ride in on this cult that has been tamed by King Jesus. And of course, we've seen him throughout the Gospels. He's been healing people. He's been restoring sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. As Alan mentioned earlier this morning, that he turned water into wine. All of this is a display of his power. And what's interesting is that prior to this point in time, he was always secretive about it. You know, when he would heal somebody, he would say, go off, don't tell anybody, maybe go show yourself to the priest, and that's it. But keep it under wraps. Why is he so intent on keeping his miracles a secret until this point in time? It's because he wants to display his power. And we'll say more about that in a moment. But why is he right in on a donkey? Certainly he's displaying his power here. But read, look at verse 4. It says this, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, that is, to Jerusalem, the epicenter of the Jewish faith, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. 9. And the reason, part of the reason why he comes in on a donkey is because it was foretold that the king, the Messiah, would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And some would say that there's almost a satirical element to this, right? Because you would expect a victorious king to come in not on a donkey, but on a war horse. And Jesus comes in humility, not on a majestic horse, but on a pretty simple animal like a donkey in humility. And not only that, but this is a sign not of war, but of peace. For a king to ride in a city, into a city on a donkey is sending the message that this is a king who comes not in war, but in peace. And the reason prior to this why he had been so hush-hush about his miracles and didn't want people to spread the word about his fame was because he knew that if he let it out too soon that they would crucify him. And yet here at this royal entry, his time has come. John 12 says it like this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The reason he said back when he turned water into wine, he said, Mother, my hour has not yet come. The time hasn't come is because he knew that he was on a mission. His mission was to do the will of his father. His mission was to one day enter the city of Jerusalem and give his life for you and for me. He would be exposed and tortured. He would be falsely tried and he would be hung up on a cross where he would wear a crown, not of gold, but of thorns. And he knows this crowd. He knows the fickle hearts of this crowd, those who are praising him, shouting his name and saying, Hosanna, which means Savior, that this same crowd would be the ones who in a few days would be shouting, crucify him. And this is the heart of the gospel. This is the message of the gospel that even as he hung on the cross, dying for them and for you and for me, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus comes in humility and in peace, riding in on a donkey. It's a bit of a misnomer to call this a triumphal entry. This is no triumphal entry. But it parallels another entrance of the king. There will one day be a triumphant entrance of King Jesus Here's what it says in Revelation 19 as John has this vision of the return of Jesus. Revelation 19 verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is a king who returns to judge and to make war his triumphal entry, his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What Jesus is saying when he enters Jerusalem on a donkey is, The time has come for the Son of Man to be lifted up, and now is the time. Today is the day for salvation, because it won't last forever. And we live in a finite window of time, not knowing when this king will return for his triumphant entry. And when Jesus enters on a donkey in humility to make peace and to give up his life for you and for me, it's an invitation to accept that invitation, to to accept that gift of salvation. But Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be, be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I wonder where your allegiance lies. Have you sworn your allegiance to this king 
who will one day return in triumph. You know, something that the reality for all of us is that one day we will either die, or if that doesn't happen, then prior to that, Jesus will return as judge. And by that point, it will be too late to make a decision. And so he invites us today, don't delay. We do so at our own peril. Receive the gift of salvation. When officials are sworn into offices of government, they're often asked to, to take um, an oath, an oath of allegiance. In our country, we take an oath to the Constitution. In a monarchy, you swear allegiance to the monarchy. And God is a king. Jesus is a king who is not there for us as simply a life insurance policy. We can't simply keep him in our back pocket, hoping to use him when we want, but he wants us to surrender our entire life to him. We must give him everything. It's not enough to be a Christian in name only. To be a nominal Christian is, is often simply to say, well, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not Jewish, I'm not an atheist, I go to church every once in a while, so I must be a Christian. Or others of us might say, well, when I'm older, I'll figure it out. I'll do business with God. But right now, I'm not ready. I want to enjoy myself for a season. I want to have fun. Don't delay. Now is the favorable time. The day of salvation has come. The crowds will turn on him, and the same ones who say Hosanna will shout crucify. He knows how fickle our hearts can be, and yet he continues on to die for us on the cross. So I wonder what you are worshiping, what you spend your time focusing on, what you might be distracted by. You know, I love this story in Luke 19 of the rich young ruler. In Luke 19, it says, a, a rich young ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. You see, Jesus knows that this rich young man who has wealth is trying to use him for salvation, but he has not surrendered his life to Jesus. He holds on to this one last thing, which is his great wealth. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Not because there's anything wrong with his wealth or having wealth, but if wealth is your king, if career is your king, if your kids, your family, your reputation, physical appearance becomes more important than King Jesus, then we haven't surrendered our life to him. If even the things that we wear, a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, success in school, if any of those things take precedence over King Jesus, we haven't surrendered our life to him. John 12 says this, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
You see, Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem with his display of power, his humility, riding on a donkey, stirring up the whole city, ensuring that everyone would know, everyone would have to encounter him. Some hate him, some love him, but he refuses to be ignored. We can't read of this passage of the triumphal entry of the return of this king and say, well, that's nice, and go about our life. He will not be ignored. We may love him, we may hate him, but it makes absolutely no, no sense to ignore this Savior King. And that's why the prophecy says, Behold, your King is coming to you. Now is the time to surrender to him. Don't delay, receive him as your Lord and Savior. And it's not enough to pursue salvation by association, to sort of associate myself with the church but salvation in Jesus Christ is a salvation that comes about by substitution. That he takes our place on the cross and he offers us forgiveness. Turn to him today and receive salvation. Don't delay. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we Pray for those this morning for whom you have stirred in their hearts. You have helped us see our idols. You have helped us see the power of King Jesus and the invitation of the humility of King Jesus, who says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Lord, help us to receive that gift this morning. And Lord, what a gift it is as we anticipate Good Friday and the celebration of Easter Sunday. Lord, help us not to be uh, people who celebrate simply by association and we go on to the next thing, but Lord, who celebrate the fact that we have new life in Christ, that you have made our hearts new, that you have turned a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Lord, we thank you for the grace of the gospel this morning and for the forgiveness it provides. In your name I pray, amen.